We have been working through the book of John. We are on John chapter 12. Uh, we skipped uh, that last week, although it, it kind of fit right in where we were anyway, which you'll see, um, and, and talked about the resurrection. Uh, so we're going to pick back up. If you want to um, open your Bibles to John chapter 12, you can follow along. If you want to, just follow along in the notes. We'll put some verses up occasionally. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's a long chapter. It's a lot. Uh, don't let the short notes fool you. We'll cover the whole chapter, sort of. Some of that faster than others. All right, so there's a couple of good things going on here. <clears throat> One of them at the beginning I really want to kind of lean into. So I just want to start with uh, the first eight verses is uh, the famous scene with Mary of Bethany. And what's going on here, and here's what you want to know to set this up. It is six days before the Passover. This is the Passover. This is the one where Jesus is going to triumphantly enter into Jerusalem and uh, be tested and grilled by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and be crucified on Friday, raised on Sunday morning. So he literally is less than two weeks from a horrible death that he knows precisely about right? So I want you to imagine that you're here today, uh, but you know that you're going to die horribly in less than two weeks, uh, and, and it's going to be painful and all that, and how that might affect your mental status. Now, he's handling it really well because he knows what's going on, but uh, we're going to read, when we get down to verse 27, for example, we're going to read that even now his soul is troubled. And so this is on his mind, um, and this plays into uh, what we're talking about. Uh, we've done a lot in this, John has done a lot to emphasize um, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus, the only begotten Son. But this morning, we want to look a little bit about, at Jesus, the man, that he, and, and remember uh, that he was and is a man. There is a man, a human man seated at the right hand of the Father, right? Also God, <clears throat> only one of those, okay? So uh, it's a few days before Passover, and Jesus absolutely knows what's coming. And we read again in verse 27 that his soul is troubled, and he's visiting Bethany. Now, have you noticed he visits Bethany a lot in, when he's around Jerusalem? It's like the place he likes to hang out. And I don't know, you know, uh, maybe they got a good holiday in. It's the, it's the favorite place to go. They, they, you know, he gets breakfast. And he's got a lot of disciples to feed, so that would come in handy. But uh, I am suspicious here that the man Jesus likes going to Bethany because he finds comfort in the people there that he hangs out with, who are notably... Uh, Mary and Martha, for a while he couldn't hang out with Lazarus, but he can hang out with Lazarus again because Lazarus was briefly dead, but now he's not. And so uh, Lazarus, as we read in this passage, is seated at the table with him. So we're in this picture where he's gone, and, and I suspect that he's making a point of stopping at their house because the man Jesus finds comfort in their company, and especially at this time. So I want us to tie into that a little bit. It's easy for us to forget that he's a man, and he has all the feelings we have. Uh, he just handles them way better than we do. So uh, 
the usual is going on. Martha is serving dinner, and Mary is at Jesus' feet, right? Now, not only is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, she's got uh, a canister of oil or an alabaster box of oil uh, that is worth about a year's salary. So it's good stuff. It's expensive, smells good. And she is anointing Jesus' feet with it, and she's wiping his feet with her hair. Now, this is what I want you to get here for the man Jesus. This is a very intimate moment, and I don't mean intimate in a sexual way. I mean intimate in a friend way. Uh, this is a very intimate moment uh, for uh, Mary, and I suspect for Jesus also, because when uh, Judas, uh, who is concerned that this year's salary worth of oil could have been sold and given to the poor, uh, we read what he's really concerned about is he had the money and he could have skimmed some off the top, right? And so he could have, I don't know, got a new donkey or something, uh, later model. And uh, he's concerned about this, and he expresses this concern to Jesus about what this, the waste of this being put on Jesus' feet when it could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus says, let her alone, she's done this for my burial. What's he thinking about? Yeah. So again, it lends me, uh, it, it leads to my suspicion that he's thinking about what's coming in less than two weeks, and that's part of why he's there. He just wants to spend time with friends before this comes, and maybe even Mary. Now, it says that she, she's doing this for my burial. She's anointing me with fragrant oil for my burial, which is coming up, which he's been talking pretty freely to the disciples about how he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer, and you notice that they, they never quite get it. Even when they come to arrest Jesus, they never quite get it. Uh, Peter's going to try and defend him with the sword, and, uh, and they're still trying to figure out this thing. And so what I want to know, which the, the text doesn't tell us, is was Mary aware of what she was doing? Jesus says, this is for my burial. Was Mary aware of that? Guys, if you're married, you may have experienced this. Every once in a while, uh, it may be that the woman has figured out something that the boys haven't figured out yet. <laughs> this does happen. If you're not married, be ready. <laughs> Does occasionally happen. And so I'm wondering, is this one of those times? Is Mary, in her intimacy with Jesus, in her time sitting at his feet, in her time paying attention to what he's saying, has she figured something out that they didn't get yet? That he actually is going to go and die next week? I don't know. We'll have to ask her when we get there. But we do know that we're seeing the standard pattern uh, that we see Martha is serving and Mary is at Jesus' feet. We see this in Luke 10, um, 38 through 42. Uh, don't have to go there. You guys know the story. It's a different story. Same sisters. And at this point, Martha's cooking. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet listening. And Martha says, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and help me cook. This is not right. And Jesus goes, no. He says, Martha, you're worried about a lot of stuff. And she has chosen the one thing that's needed, and I'm not going to take it away from her. Now, is serving wrong? No. no. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. Worry is wrong. 
and she was worried possibly about whether Jesus was going to get enough to eat. I mean, this is a Jewish household, so, uh, you know. <laughs> Ever had a Jewish mom try and feed you? So, I don't know what's going on, but Jesus says, Martha, you're worried, and Mary has chosen the one thing that's needed. The one thing that's needed. What's the one thing that's needed? To listen to Jesus, to hear his voice. It's the same thing that the father, when the father showed up and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What's he say? Hear him. There's one thing I need you to do. Listen to this guy. And she's doing the one thing that's needed. And what I want you to see is that's kind of the theme of this whole chapter. The primacy of Jesus, listening to him, the one thing that's needed. And so it's interesting that it starts out with Mary and Martha. This time, Mary, Martha's okay serving. She's just serving lunch, and she's not bugged that Mary's doing the thing with the oil. It's all good. They got their roles. So uh, this is going on. And what I want to get out of this is, and I really want us to think about this, we talk a lot about Jesus being our personal Savior, Right? You ever heard that term? Yeah. And sometimes we use it, I think, meaning he's my personal savior, savior, and he works for me. He died for me so I could go to heaven and I can ask him stuff. He's my personal savior. And I don't think that's what it's supposed to mean. I don't know that we understand the word personal like we need to, that we can be personal with God. And we aren't always. Sometimes we are more comfortable like the Israelites with God being at a distance up on a mountain in fire, and we tell Moses, you speak to God and tell us what he says. Uh, we don't want to get that close, because he makes us nervous. You guys wouldn't ever say that to me, right? You don't want, you don't want just Tony, you talk to God and tell us what he says. You want to hear God yourself, right? All right, good, I'm with the right crowd. If, if that's what your pastor is saying, then you should go to another church. Okay, so my point is, she has this personal relationship with Jesus the man, not Jesus the Son of God, he's still the Son of God, the man Jesus. The man Jesus still has desires, and I think most of his desires regarding us are simply companionship. I think that's it. I think my suspicion is that he's come to Bethany because he likes his family and he needs a little companionship before he does the whole Jerusalem thing and goes to the cross. And I don't know if he knew Mary was going to do this, but I think it's ministering to him. I don't think that he's just tolerating Mary doing this because it's good for her. I think it's helping him. I think he wants someone to understand what's getting ready to happen and commiserate with him. I just, I just think we're seeing the human Jesus. And I think we forget maybe something that Mary realized, that we can interact with the man Jesus in a personal way. And that not everything is about serving him and just obeying him. Some of it is about us being a pleasure to him, yes. him enjoying us. Uh, I love Song of Solomon 4, where it talks about how we're gardening clothes. It says, come into my garden and delight in me, enjoy me. God wants us to be a temple that he can come into and enjoy us. And so it's easy to forget this. But this is what's going on here, I think. This is an opportunity that Mary is taking where she is 
uh, ministering to Jesus, ministering to his emotional needs as a human man. Okay? Can you do that? Have you ever done that? Yes. I'm going to tell you some ways you might be able to do that in a minute. So, is service wrong? No. Mary's not wrong. Is generosity wrong? No. Jude, uh, Judas isn't wrong about being generous. Um, it, he is wrong about, you know, sifting some off the top. Uh, but what I want us to see that these things are always second to sitting at Jesus' feet. They flow out of the relationship of sitting at Jesus' feet. We serve because we've sat at Jesus' feet. We give because we've sat at Jesus' feet, right? And so we know him, and we're, we're flowing. Uh, there's overflow in that. And so we need to make sure that our walk with Jesus isn't primarily just serving and giving, that it's primarily sitting at his feet. And then we do the serving and the giving. There's plenty of time for both, right? And so we want to look for these opportunities. And I say opportunity because of this. If you look at verse 8, when Jesus answers, she says, the, he says, the poor you have with you always, but me, you do not have always. How many, if, if I said sometime this week, find an opportunity to minister to the poor, how many of you would find that really super challenging? No, not hard. You can find poor people every day. And that's what he's saying. You can always be generous. You can always minister to the poor. But Mary is taking advantage of an opportunity she's never going to have again to anoint me for my burial. She has recognized an opportunity to minister to Jesus. And if she doesn't take it, it's going to be gone. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and this is all going to happen. So there are opportunities, and this is what I want you to see. There are opportunities that we can have to relate personally, to the man, Jesus Christ, that we need to look for. I'll give you another one. Garden of Gethsemane, the apostles. Again, don't know for sure. Here's my bet. My bet is if I could interview Peter and James and John and all the apostles and say, hey, Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was really stressing out over going to the cross and he was praying and you guys all nodded off. How are you feeling about that? I bet every one of them would have said, ah, we didn't really get what was going on. I really wish we had. I really wish I'd stayed awake with him. I kind of regret missing that opportunity to be with Jesus in his hour of distress. What do you think? Do we get opportunities like that? I had one. A uh, long time ago, long time ago, uh, we used to do men's retreats. A few of you remember these. And we would go down to Vero Beach, Life for Youth Ranch, and do these men's retreats. And the pastors would all go a day early. So there'd be 12 or 15 pastors because it was a multi-church thing. And we'd go a day early and pray. We'd go out to dinner. One time we forgot to pay the bill. That was amusing. Uh, <laughs> everyone thought someone else had done it. 12 pastors just stiffed them. Uh, we did go back the next day and, you know, fix it. They hadn't noticed. I don't know how that happened. Anyway, another story. So we're down at this retreat, and we're praying the night before. And, uh, and we're doing our little meeting thing. And we all have rooms in the hotel rooms there. And the, the prayer meeting ends. And uh, I'm rooming with Tim Franklin. 
And we walk the 50 or 80 yards over to our room, and we're in a room, and we're, we're you know, thinking about going to bed. But we're both kind of hesitating, because when we left the meeting, when the meeting ended, the presence of God was still kind of in the room. And, uh, but it was time to go. We were done. So we went over there. So we're standing there in the room, and, and we're both kind of looking at each other. And I can't remember the conversation totally. But I know at one point, uh, Tim looks at me, and he goes, God's not here. And he kind of points over there. I go, I go, yep. And so we just went back out and went back over. Now, here's the thing. That, when we went back over, that is absolutely one of the top three encounters of God I've had in my life. It was amazing. I'll, I, I've told you about it before. I'll tell you about it another time when it fits. It was just an amazing encounter with God that I had after I went back over. It was an opportunity and I've only, I've only had something like that happen to me twice. It was a rare opportunity. I could have missed it. Could have gone to bed. God wouldn't even have been mad at me if I went to bed. He would still love me and smile. I just would have missed an opportunity. And so we need to pay attention to these opportunities when Jesus wants to be personal with us. Or when Jesus is offering because uh, it doesn't always happen. And, and uh, there are times where the presence of God is there, and, and I feel like, well, this is, this is good. God's not necessarily doing anything specific. He's just being there, and I can go anytime I want. And there are other times where I feel like something's going on. I need to stay in this. There are times when I'm in a prayer meeting, and I'll think of something. I go, oh, i got to go do that. Or I'm in prayer at the house. There are other times where I go, nope, I'm going to jot that down and set that aside. I can't leave right now. There are times when I'm up here doing the mic and someone comes with a word. And, uh, and I go, okay, we'll work that in, uh, you know, whatever. There are other times where I go, no, there's an atmosphere here that I don't want to interrupt. So we're not just not going not gonna to do the mic thing right now. Uh, so we have to recognize these times when God is drawing us and encountering us and, and that he wants to be personal. There may be times, and we tend to think of it in terms of what does God want me to do, and they may just be invitations to be with him. Rachel, a couple times this week, came back from prayer times, uh, or was praying about something, and she started crying for apparently no reason. Just the, <laughs> the thing she was praying about. Now, maybe the thing she was praying about touched her heart. Here's a thought. Jesus, the man Jesus, has to watch all the crap that goes on in the entire world and invites us to partner with him in intercession. What if Jesus was tagging Rachel? He goes, look, I'm kind of crying about this. I just want someone to cry with me. What if that's what's going on? That changes your prayer time, doesn't it? I can't, I'm sorry, I can't. You know, make dinner right now. Jesus needs me to cry with him. Okay. <laughs> right? Can I argue with that? So you understand what I'm saying? This is this opportunity that Mary is taking to have this incredible intimate moment with Jesus. So much so that Jesus says uh, in a different gospel, you know, wherever this gospel is told, we're going to tell this story. This is important that people see that Mary got this and, and, uh, and comforted me in my time of need. So 
I don't know that I can go much further with this because it's experiential. I just want to encourage you guys to explore that you can have a personal relationship with the man Jesus. There, he doesn't just want you to go to heaven because he doesn't want to kill you. He wants to enjoy you. There are things that you bring to him. It's not all him to us. There are things that you do that he enjoys. Right? Kind of like your kids. They do goofy stuff and you just love it. And everyone else is going, that's goofy. Yeah, it's my kid. I love it. Right? Okay, let's move on. That really was my favorite part this morning. So if you want to go home early, feel free. Uh, All right. There's more. There is more. But wait, there's more. Okay. Uh, So now a lot of this I'm not going to read. I'm just going to kind of summarize. In 9 through 11, what we read is that many Jews came to Bethany. They came out to Bethany where Jesus was hanging out. And not just because of Jesus, but because of Lazarus. Because remember when we talked about Lazarus? Lazarus was stinky dead. And God raised him from the dead. And no one had ever done that. It was real impressive. And many of them were believing because of Lazarus. Now, because of this incredible miracle, many are believing. uh, The chief priests are unhappy. Because they don't want people believing in Jesus. Because Jesus is the competition. All right? He is the other team. And so the chief priests are plotting to kill Lazarus because of his testimony. They really, they don't care about Lazarus. They don't even probably know Lazarus, but they want to kill the testimony. You understand that? They got to kill this Jesus raising the dead testimony, especially raising somebody's dead four days. We can't have that. That's going to cause people to believe in him. So they plan to kill Lazarus. I believe the only reason they didn't kill Lazarus is because within two weeks, Jesus was going to raise from the dead, making Lazarus being raised from the dead moot. So the way that works is they have, you know, the board meeting of the Pharisees, and, and somebody goes, hey, we got some old business here. We had a plan to kill Lazarus. And they go, who cares? He raised himself from the dead now. That's, this is a way bigger deal than him raising Lazarus from the dead. And they go, okay, I'll just take this off the agenda then. Sure. And so that was the board meeting. And, and so Jesus saved Lazarus by raising himself from the dead. I think. Anyway, that's my interpolation. Uh, but here's what I want you to get <laughs> in all that. If you have a testimony of God, the world will try and kill it. Because if your testimony is alive, they have to deal with Jesus, the man. Jesus, God. They have to deal with that. So the only way to not deal with that is to kill your testimony. That's why I don't worry that much when, when people are hostile. I go, that's, that's, that might be a good sign. Uh, they're thinking about Jesus, and they're poking my testimony to see if it's going to hold up. Because they, they want to know if they can trust it. But here's the thing I want you to remember. Even if they try and kill your testimony, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the testimony. It is the testimony. It is always the testimony. Matthew 12, Jesus says, a wicked and adulterous generation is looking for a sign, and none will be given to it but this one. This one sign will be given. What is it? The sign of Jonah. The same way he was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, 
The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Or in other words, the resurrection. This is the one sign you're going to get. Now, other than him healing virtually everyone who asked. Uh, that was signs too. But, this, but he's saying, the sign that I'm him I say is the resurrection. It is the sign. So people go, well, yeah, but Jesus was, a, 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 he's just a prophet. Uh, there's lots of, you know, uh, profound spiritual people like Confucius and uh, Mickey Mouse and Jesus, and they're all, they're all, you know, and I go, well, okay, yeah, great, but how many of those guys raised from the dead? Just the one? Okay, significant testimony. Well, there's many ways to heaven. All right, how many of you involve a guy raising himself from the dead? Let's just narrow it down. Just the one? Okay. You see my point? And so, use your testimony, but always go back to the testimony. Jesus rose from the dead. Well, I don't really think that happened, don't you? Virtually every historian, secular and otherwise, uh, dealt with it. Uh, you really going to have to put your head in the sand on that one. It happened. Deal with it. You got to deal with that. Jesus rose from the dead, right? So that is the testimony. Uh, and also what saved Lazarus. Okay. Verses 12 through 19. Now Jesus has left Bethany. He's come into Jerusalem. And this is the triumphal entry. Aaron, two weeks ago, did such a good job of talking about this that I really don't have to. We're going to kind of blow through it. Uh, he talked a lot, remember, about Hosanna, uh, Lord save, and Lord is saving, and, and all that good stuff. You can go back and listen to that. It's two weeks ago. Um, but I do want you to see this, that as he's coming in, and they're singing the Hosanna, and they're quoting uh, Psalm 118 out of the Halal, and they're recognizing him as Messiah. They're absolutely recognizing him as Messiah. They think he's Messiah. They just don't understand or get it. They think he's Messiah King. And we'll see that clearly uh, in a few minutes as we go on. They think that he's going to come. He's going to be king. Rome is out of there. Things are going to be good. In other words... They're honoring him, but they don't understand, and they think it's more about them than him. It's kind of like when the right guy gets elected and the gas prices go down. <laughs> right? King. It's going to be good for me. Right? I'll let you decide who the right guy is. I don't want to argue. I don't know that we even have a right guy. Point being, uh, they're in it for them. They're very excited about him being Messiah because life's going to get better when Messiah comes. He's going to reign as king. And they don't get that he's not coming as king. Now, if I say to you, uh, now, from our 2,000-year perspective, uh, Jesus came the first time as the Lamb of God to die to take away the sins of the earth, and is coming the second time as king to reign forever from Jerusalem, you totally get that. They totally did not. They just had the king thing. That's, that's where their head was at. And so they don't understand, and because they don't understand, they're going to be disappointed, and they're going to go right along with the crucifixion by the end of the week. So, again, it's more about them than about him. 
we wouldn't do that, right? We wouldn't make serving Jesus more about what we could get and how it's going to make our life better than about him actually being uh, worthy and the son of God and, and worth even dying for. I just checking. We wouldn't do that, right? Okay, good. I, th- I knew I was with the right people. All right. Now, the Pharisees are also very frustrated. We see this in verse 19. They don't understand either, but they, don't ha- they have a different motive. In verse 19, uh, it says, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. So they're yelling at each other. Uh, this was probably it was, uh, the board meeting before Jesus rose from the dead when they still had Lazarus on the agenda. And they're going, this is not, we, we need a better plan. This is not working. You're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Our entire agenda was to quit, get people to quit following this guy, and everybody's following this guy. And so they're frustrated, and they don't understand. And what I want you to see is what they're frustrated about is they, they're losing control of the people. What they really want is control of the people. Again, if this would be a good word for pastors, right? Got to be careful. It's not about control of the people. So uh, we just looked last chapter in John 11, where in John 11:48, where they said their concern was that basically if Jesus keeps going and the people make him king, the Romans are going to come and take away our place and position. Remember that? So they're going, everybody's following him. And we're going to lose our jobs. And we got to do something. I mean, we got to do something drastic. Rome's going to take away my job. And I got a lot of kids. And I, you know, and gas prices. So, so we get on to verses 20 through 27. Now, keep in mind, virtually everyone there thinks he's Messiah, uh, unless they're just angry about losing their job. They think he's Messiah, and he's going to be king, right? He's the king, the reigning Messiah. And then in verse 20 through 27, I want to start reading here for a little bit. It says, now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus. Sounds like a good thing, right? And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus, now, so they've worked their angle, and they want to see Jesus, and two insiders say, hey, there's some guys here from, where are they from? Greeks. Um, they, they want to meet you, Jesus. They just, you know, shake a few hands, kiss some babies, it's all good. Uh, they just want to meet you. And look at Jesus' answer. Jesus says, uh, most, Jesus answered them saying, the hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. If you were disciples, you had to be getting tired of these kind of answers. Does that mean we bring them or no? Is that a yes? Is that a no? Right? Jesus just goes on and talks about what he wants to talk about. So, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Of course, he's talking about himself. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. Now, my soul is troubled 
And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So I want to break this down for you. Everybody thinks you're going to be king. Here's some guys that want to meet you, some Greek guys. I think we should set up a meet. Jesus goes, no, it's not about me being king. Let me tell you why I'm really here. Let me explain my purpose. Let me explain the purpose that I'm distressed about, that I came into the world for. I'm not coming as king. I'm coming as the Lamb of God to die in your place, to take away the sins of the world. And so he immediately shifts it to, he tells them the truth, which they don't understand. No one gets. So, uh, hey, uh, it's been a, it was a great, you know, we got on the donkeys. There was a lot of Hosanna, and everybody thinks you're going to be king, and here's some Greek guys that want to meet you. And he goes, it's not going to happen. It's not what we're doing. I'm here to die. I'm here to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Right? And then he says... A few statements. Uh, the first one is, unless a seed dies, it produces no fruit. Life comes from death. Now, I covered this so thoroughly last week that I don't feel the need to do it again. How many of you were here last week? And we talked about life and death. Okay, so if you weren't and you want to know more about that, listen to last week. But I really covered it, so I'm not going to do it again. But he's making it very clear uh, to produce life, there has to be dying. He's comparing himself to a seed that uh, when he dies, he's going to produce way more life than this one little seed. And not only that, the second point he makes is that this isn't just for him. This is for him and his followers. That They also are going to have to die to produce life. You see it in there? Um, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Follow me where? To the cross. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And then he says this third thing, if anyone serves me, my father will honor him. And we talked about this last week. The reward of being willing to die to ourselves, to live for Jesus, is the honor of the father. Amen. Right? And it's worth it. And so, Again, because we talked about so much last week, I'm not going to go into that further, but that's a, it's as profound this week as it was last week, that Jesus died to produce life, that we have to be willing to embrace uh, dying with Jesus, to see eternal, uh, or to see resurrection life in ourselves and around us, and that the reward for all of this is the honor of the Father, right? And so, basically, up to this point, He's known he's going. He's coming to Jerusalem. They said, you're the Messiah. You're going to be king. And he says, nope, I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb. And what we're going to see here is they go, yeah, I don't get it. So uh, reading on verses 28 through 33, he ends that statement by saying, Father, glorify your name. And I just love here that uh, his, his goal, remember, was always to honor and glorify the Father, just like our goal is always to honor and glorify Jesus, who's honoring and glorifying the Father. That's how it works, right? So, then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Pardon me. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, the voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. 
Now, now is the judgment of this world. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. He's, uh, whenever he talks about being lifted up, we saw this in uh, earlier, where was it? Uh, yeah, in, uh, where, where, he talked, where he talked about as uh, Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, chapter six, that's where it was. Um, he's talking about him being lifted up on the cross, right? And so what's going on here is uh, the father speaks from heaven and at least John, we know, heard it because he wrote it down accurately. I'm guessing some of the other apostles did. And Chris Reed talked about this when he was here, if you remember. Um, do you think that you heard it differently depending on where you were standing? Like, you know, the guys, you know, standing over here by this hill didn't hear it. Or uh, these guys heard it, but uh, these guys were too short and they didn't hear it. No. no. What changed whether you heard thunder or you thought it was an angel talking or you heard the voice of God? We talked about this in John Chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And we said how we hear with our hearts. And so God speaks. Some could hear his voice. Some could not. Some just said thunder. I don't know what he said. And it's still that way today. And again, I'm not going to, there's a lot of things he's hitting that we've already hit, so I'm not going to reiterate them. You can go back and uh, listen to, uh, or look at the notes on John chapter 10 when we talked about how we hear with our hearts. And so in this whole crowd, some people hear God's voice. Some people think, well, it's a voice. I heard some words. I think it was an angel. And some people just heard thunder and go, ah, I think it's going to rain. And they don't hear God's voice. So Jesus has come and, and he starts talking in verse 31 about the judgment of this world and not everybody can even hear what he's saying. And we're going to see in a minute uh, something, again, we've already seen, that the judgment has to do with whether or not we can hear. Okay? Now, well, we'll look at it right now. He says three things. He says, first of all, that uh, the judgment, uh, now is the judgment of this world. Now, he does not mean, because uh, there will come a time when he comes again, when literally... Uh, he separates the, the sheep from the goats, wheat from the tares, and, and it's on. It doesn't mean that kind of judgment. He's saying uh, a judgment is going to be executed on this world, meaning I'm going to take the sin of the world on myself. He's talking about 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. God's going to judge the world by judging Jesus who will bear our sin, right? So he says, now the judgment of this world has come. The result of that will be, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now, he's not completely cast out yet. There's some future on that. He's still got to you know, he's going to get puffed up and do some things in the temple and then God will come and destroy him with the breath of his mouth and that'll be all good. But until then, uh, what has happened is he's lost the authority that he gained through Adam. And all of this happens th 
through the cross. Through the cross, judgment is executed on all of us who believe. Do you understand that? We just didn't have to bear it. Who did? Good. It's important that you understand. Judgment has been executed. Jesus took it. Because of that, Satan has lost his authority over you. All of that happened through the cross. Uh, the best place to see this probably is in Romans chapter 5. Now, in context, uh, Paul is talking about um, Adam and Jesus, the first and second. The first Adam, second Adam. And he says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, that would be Adam and Eve and the fruit and the serpent, uh, resulting in condemnation, even though through one man's righteous act, that would be Jesus on the cross, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. It's very simple. Jesus is saying, this is what's fixing to happen. The world's going to be judged. Satan's going to lose his authority. I'm going to introduce the opportunity for you to accept my judgment in your place and, and receive my righteousness. That is an awesome deal. Totally recommend you take it. There are no other deals on the table to deal with your sin. Not a one. That's it. Okay. Now, going on. So he says this, and again, we're going to see that they still don't get it. Uh, going on, I'm going to read verses 34 through 36. And the people answered him and said, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. Is that true? It is true. Several places. My favorite would be Isaiah 9, where it says of the increase of his kingdom and his government, there will be no end. And it says... Uh, talks about him sitting on the throne of David forever. Literally uses the word forever. So yeah, that's true. They had partial understanding of the Messiah. They just didn't have the whole picture. Again, they're thinking the king part, right? When he comes again as king, that's forever. Now, so they said, we've heard that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus answers them, and again, he doesn't really answer their question. He does answer their question, but he doesn't. You have to, you know, we're getting used to this now. He's smarter than we are. Uh, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and then departed and was hidden from them. So I love this. They go, we don't get it. And he goes, basically, yeah, just, you know what? Just believe in me. Don't worry about getting it right now. Just, just believe I'm the light. Just, just go with it. Uh, there's going to be times when you don't understand. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of John chapter 6 uh, when Jesus has just told everyone to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they're all like, we don't get it, and we're out of here. And he looks at the other disciples, and he goes, you all want to leave too? And Peter goes, it sounds very profound. Peter goes, where can we go? You have the words of life. And it's the right answer. But I guarantee you what's in Peter's head is, I don't know what you're doing, 
you just took us from a mega church to a home group in one sermon. <laughs> They're going to ask me, what does this eat my flesh, drink my blood thing mean? I don't have any idea what to tell them. I, I don't even have notes. I couldn't even figure it out. But you have the words of life. So they're at a point where Jesus knows he's talking about something they're not going to get. And he goes, look, here's the important thing. Stay in the light. Walk in the light. Believe in the light. Believe in me. It'll all come clear. Once I've risen from the dead, it'll be a lot clearer. You guys will understand. Like we do now, because we can look backwards, right? And so I want to remind you, same thing I reminded you of in John chapter 6. There are going to be times you don't understand. It's okay to not understand. It is not okay to walk away. The wise thing to do when you don't understand is to go, yeah, but he has the words of life. Yeah, but he's the light. I'm just staying with the light. I'm going to stay in the light. I'm just going to keep walking with Jesus. Well, what's he doing? No idea. Looks crazy. Everyone left, but I'm, I'm staying. In the future, that might happen. Stuff might look crazy. Stick with Jesus. So that's what he tells them. That's what he tells them. Now, again, they're going to have a hard time with that. In verses 37 through 41, I'm not going to read these. Um, we've looked at those passages before in Isaiah. What basically is going on is John just reminds us that even though he did a lot of signs and wonders, um, that they mostly didn't believe because their hearts were hard. They didn't have hearing hearts. And, and again, I'm not going to do it because we've, we've already covered that. Uh, and we've looked at those very verses in Isaiah where, uh, where Jesus, because Jesus says it several times, you know, seeing you will not see and hearing you will not hear because of your hard hearts. Because they, uh, what I want you to see is it all comes down to uh, we hear with our hearts. Are we able to hear the words of God? Are we able to hear the voice or does it just sound like it thundered? And so... Um, but uh, there is something interesting in the next couple of verses. In verses 42 through 43, I find these really scary. It says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Isn't that awesome? But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Isn't that scary? Perhaps you've read in Matthew 10, Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father. I do not want to stand by the Father and have Jesus go, I don't know this guy. Yikes. So what I want you to see is just the very th thing we talked about in verse 25, where Jesus said, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies. And then he talked about his followers and how they will lose their life for the kingdom. Whoever wants to keep his life will lose it. They wanted to keep their life. They wanted to keep their position, their praise of men. So I want you to see, uh, and again, we talked about this a lot last week, about dying with Jesus. All of us, all of us, all of us, without exception, will have to face deciding between a praise or acceptance of men and dying with Jesus. All of us. All right. If I say this, they're not going to like me. If I do this, 
they're not going to let me come back out with them anymore. Right? We're all going to have to make that decision. Is it more important that people like us or that we're pleasing to God? And you all know what the right decision is. Uh, it's terrifying to me that the Pharisees actually saw who he was and believed in him, but couldn't make that decision. I'm hoping that they came around. I'm sure some of them did. Uh, we'll probably meet some of them and go, whoo, I, you know, I quit going to the board meetings. Uh, so <laughs> let's finish up. Now, this last section I'm going to read through, 44 through 50. Here's what's basically going on. It's like Jesus is going, look, uh, I got to go to the cross soon. This is really the last public address I'm going to give, so I'm just going to sum up the key points that I've been hitting for the last few years. Uh, here they are. Here's the five things you really need to know. I'm just going to hit them all. So he, you know, he gets a whiteboard and he, he gets them out, and because uh, he knows this is it. Because after this, uh, he's going to the Last Supper and then to the cross. Right now, there will be some very interesting chapters with his disciples where he tells them some really good stuff. Chapters. Uh, 14 through 17, and we'll get to those. those I'm excited about those, uh, but not today. So, this is basically the last review, and he says this, he who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me, and he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should, uh, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Now, Here's what's going on. Uh, Jesus has given us five things that we need to know. And I'm just going to list these for you. They're in your notes as well. First, and he said most of these things before. That's why I said it's like his, his final review summary before the quiz. Okay? And he says, first, Jesus and the Father are one. Basically, that's what he's saying. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said that very clearly in John chapter 10. I and the Father are one. And they wanted to kill him when he said it. So the first thing we need to know, Jesus and the Father are one. You've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He's just saying what the Father says. The second thing, Jesus is the light of the world. It started saying this in John chapter 8. So if we want to understand, if we want to see, if we want to be in the light, we have to follow Jesus. He is the light of the world. Very simple. And the third thing, which we also covered in chapter 9, Judgment is self-determined. Jesus doesn't judge you, you judge you. And the judgment is very simple. Whether you receive or reject the words that the Father spoke through Jesus. They're the Father's words in Jesus' mouth. And Jesus says the judgment is this simple. You reject the words, well, you've judged yourself not worthy to go to heaven. You accept the words, well, you've judged yourselves worthy to go to heaven. We judge ourselves simply by receiving or rejecting the Word of God. That's it. It's very simple. And then he goes on, he says, but I just want you to know, my intention here is to save, not to condemn, which is the same thing he said in John chapter 3. And then he adds, and the Father's intent, in fact, his command, 
is everlasting life. So let's sum up. Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus wants to save you. The Father wants to give you everlasting life. If you listen to his words, that happens. If you reject his words, that doesn't happen. It's your choice. Any questions? Make a choice. Make a choice. Every day, make a choice. Am I going to walk in the light? Am I going to listen to the words of the Father through Jesus, the light? That's it. That's our choice. And that's the message that we preach. Jesus basically just, again, uh, gave the gospel one last time before the Last Supper. So this morning, let's have the band back up. As we go back into worship, we've got about 25, 30 minutes left. Uh, I, still, I still am struck at that first part. And Mary, uh, you know, anointing Jesus' feet with oil, just having that moment with Jesus. And I, I just can't help but wonder if, uh, if Jesus won't have a moment with some of us this morning. So I want to encourage you, again, we pay attention. You never know when those times will be that Jesus invites us uh, into these things. Uh, but that's my desire this morning, that we, would, uh, that we would have intimacy, biblical intimacy with the man Christ Jesus. That we would not only uh, have pleasure in uh, what he is doing for us, that he would have pleasure in our hearts towards him. And here's the weird thing. It gives me pleasure that I can give him pleasure, doesn't it? Doesn't that kind of, you go, wow, Jesus actually cares that I express affection towards him? That makes him feel better? It makes me feel better that that makes him feel better. Doesn't it? We'll just let that spiral go on. Amen? All right. So as we get ready to worship, thanks, let's, uh, let's, let's just pray, and then you can stand and we'll go into worship. Lord. We get, we really get, Jesus, that you are God, that you hold all creation together, that you are immense and unfathomable, and uh, Lord, that the world was made by you and for you, and that you can do anything you want. Uh, Lord, at the same time, uh, you told us to pursue the knowledge of Jesus, to know you, and we know you're a man, and this morning, uh, Lord, we just say we also want to know the man Jesus, to relate to you uh, as a person, uh, to, uh, to know your heart, to know your heart towards us, to know the things that you've placed in us that you enjoy. Uh, Lord, I know they're more than we realize. Lord, I just pray this morning that you would encounter your people. Uh, Lord, that we would have uh, just these moments with you where uh, where we're doing this because we're friends, because we're in love with you, because uh, we trust you, because we, we have learned uh, what you like and what makes you smile. Uh, Lord, we want to go deeper into Jesus, and we just ask for grace to do that this morning. Thank you, Lord.